0: Well, hello again. We have just finished reading the Bible through in a year, and if it took you a little longer, that's fine, but we are now in week 52. Welcome back to the Five-Day Reading Plan podcast. You might know this by now, but I'm Lance Ward, and I will be walking us through some of the highlights of the final week's reading in this plan. And as always, just know that, especially if you wanna do this again next year, you can download a hard copy of this reading plan uh, in the description of this podcast, you can also find it at 5daybiblereading.com. Now, let me tell you something about that. As years change at this website, 5daybiblereading.com, some of the dates change on this, too. So uh, when you, I think it's probably about after December 25th or 26th, they will release the 2024 version if you are now listening in 2023. I realize some people will listen to this years later, but we recorded this in 2023. But um, you should be able to still keep up with this no matter how the dates fall. Um, And finally... If you listen regularly, don't forget, especially in this last week, to rate this podcast in whatever podcasting service you use. And by the way, after this episode, I'm going to have a little brief episode called What Now? So you can listen to that too and kind of know where am I going to go this next year. Uh, Well, this week's readings, we finished Job chapters 28 through 42. We read Psalms 102, 103, and 150, and we ended with Revelation 18 through 22. Well, again, let me just say, hallelujah. We have read the entire Bible together. And I hope that you've seen, like I introduced in the first week, how this is a redemption story. It's not just a, a smattering of little tips and things you can do for life, but it's actually a story. And uh, maybe you didn't finish in the whole year, but no matter how long it took, you have finished it. And so um, in Job 28 through 42... In chapter 29, we see another lament of Job. He looks back to the days before what he might call the dark day, when he says, God's friendship rested on my tent when the Almighty was still with me and my children were around me. What an apt description for those who grieve loved ones or whose lives have been marked by trauma. We tend to mark our lives hereafter as a division between our lives before such events and after. Because grief and trauma almost always leave scars that will never go away. While we can be stuck in such things in unhealthy ways, if nothing else, we can say that they will never escape our memory banks or our perspectives. Our lives will be permanently marked by these things, and it will be easy to let our thoughts drift back to life before such tragedies. This is a natural part of grief and post-trauma. The last friend to speak to Job is Elihu in chapters 32 and 33, who confronts not only Job but also his friends. The friends because they had failed to refute, uh, he, they had failed to refute him and, and yet condemned Job and Job because he had justified himself rather than God. And I wonder why hadn't Elihu spoken sooner? Why did he remain silent? I mean, we finally have some semblance of wisdom here. Well, he tells us in thirty-two six because he was younger than the others. You know what's humbling to me? I'm now in my mid-50s, and it is easy to assume when you're in your 20s and 30s that wisdom automatically comes with age. I thought by the time I was the age I am now that I would know everything, that I would be the wisest man or among the wisest men in the world. But that's not always true. And what sometimes humbles me is interacting with folks younger than I, sometimes a full generation younger, and I see in them a wisdom I wish I had at their age. Age does not automatically equate with wisdom or foolishness. So if you're young, read Job often and seek to rid your life of the simplistic nature modeled by Job's three other friends. Then stay in the Word of God. Keep your mouth shut when you can, that's something I tell myself often, and seek wisdom and understanding. We older folks are counting on you to carry the torch. Well, before God speaks in Job, I noted this time that Job does not respond to Elihu as he had responded to the other friends. Perhaps this younger man has taught the older men a thing or two. The Lord's speech in chapters 38 through 42 may be considered one of the most profound and God-exalting passages in all of Scripture. We would be wise to read it often. No matter how long we've lived or how many experiences we've enjoyed or how many situations we've been exposed to, what these four chapters tell us is that none of us has even scratched the surface of God's infinite knowledge, power, or wisdom. Tim Keller said, the late Tim Keller said, because of God's infinite majesty and wisdom, we should expect to not understand all his ways. It wouldn't make sense that everything he does would make sense. How could an infinite, beginningless being always manage our lives in a way that makes sense to us? We don't even understand other human beings fully, so how could we expect to understand everything God does? And so Job finds himself at a loss in chapter 40, verses 4 and 5, as well as the beginning of chapter 42, and thus he repents. Did you notice in the final chapter that the Lord rebuked every friend of Job's except Elihu? And as Job ends, the Lord restores everything back to him and then some. Now, sadly, he would have to wait until glory to see his original ten children, but he would indeed see them again. But for the time being, the Lord rewarded Job with far more than he had before that dark day. What an encouraging picture of what awaits those of us who hope in Christ alone, though we might find ourselves suffering greatly in this present age. It reminds me of Paul's words in Romans 8.18, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. I consider that our present sufferings will not be able to compare with the glory that will one day be revealed to us. Psalm 102 answers an important question. How can I talk to God when in a dark place? We don't know who the author is, but we see someone issuing a desperate plea in the midst of deep suffering. We see physical and emotional pain. We see the loss of appetite. We see long days and sleepless nights. And what do we do when these things come up and we're alienated from others too and and alone? But then the chapter pivots in verse 12 where the author focuses on the greatness of God. Sometimes the best way to talk to God in dark times is to be honest about our situation and then to turn our attention to those things we know to be true, even if we can't see them. That's exactly what the psalmist does here. What a great lesson. Psalm 103 is oft quoted in a popular psalm, and one thing stuck out to me on this go-round. Verse 10, He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. What an appropriate thought if you are finishing this plan in December and looking back on the previous year. Maybe it is a good exercise at the end of one year and the beginning of another to have this frame of mind where we might say, Lord, you did not treat me as my sins deserved this past year. You have been more merciful than just when it comes to my track record. I thank you for this, and though I want my life to be characterized by less sin and more righteousness, I trust that your faithfulness will continue next year even when I mess up. All we do when we say such things to ourselves is to do what we need to do, to keep proclaiming the good news and the goodness of God to our own hearts. And after doing so, we can turn our hearts to Psalm 150. Finishing this reading plan in this year with what the Lord deserves, eternal and enthusiastic praise. He is good and he is good all the time. Speaking of his goodness, we finally turn our attention to the last five chapters of Revelation where God judges and rids the universe of all that has gone wrong and brings full restoration, redemption, and peace to all those who have trusted him. The judgment of God sometimes gets a bad rap. In fact, we may hear people say something like, I believe in a God of love, not a God of judgment. But Revelation may prompt us to ask this question. Does it have to be one or the other? Would not a loving God also judge and condemn all that is wrong with the universe? Is it not loving for our great God to rid creation of all that defaces it and seeks to ruin it and then restore things to the way they were meant to be? That's the picture I think we're seeing in the final chapters of Revelation. Everything that is wrong, sin, unrepentant sinners, Satan himself, and even our final enemy, death, they are all cast into a lake of fire like the ring of Mordor. And only after that can all creation be restored. And that's why I say that the Bible is not just an instruction manual. It is a redemption story. It started in a peaceful garden alongside a river where sin had not yet come and there was access to the tree of life. Then the fall radically shifted everything. But in the midst of this great story, a perfect man arrives. He agonizes in a garden of unrest where there is no peace, only sweating great drops of blood just before he is betrayed by someone close to him. The next day, he hangs on a tree of death. But this is not a messianic ministry gone wrong. No, it is the ticket to how things in this age will end and a new age will begin. One with no more tears, no more uncertainties, no more sorrow, and no more death. And there we will be, In a city where there is a river and trees, even a tree of life, from which we will all eat and live forever, away from sin and death and the tempter, and with the Lord. There will be no serpent, only a lamb on the throne, whose light dispenses with the need of any son, for he will be our light and our guide, our shepherd, our reward, and our friend. And as we take in such wonder, let's close our time with one other prominent theme from Revelation forever and ever, a phrase found at least 11 times, including one last time in chapter 22, where it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light." and they will reign forever and